If you've been around the past several weeks, you know that we are in a series on the life of Joseph. And we took a break from it last week with Than and Megan, but we're on week four of the life of Joseph. And if you've been kind of tracking with us so far, you know that things have so far not gone very well for Joseph. I don't know if you've ever just observed somebody's life that you're just like, this person cannot seem to catch a break. Like every turn, it seems like the, the worst possible outcome is happening to them. That, that's what we've seen so far in the life of Joseph, is Joseph began the, dream, or the, began the chapter strong. He began his story strong. He had a dream. He, he had a dream that the sun and the moon and the stars and, and some, some crops bowed down to him, and his family recognized that this dream meant that they were going to be bowing down to him. And their reaction to this was not strong. They were not excited about this dream that Joseph had. And so they threw Joseph in a pit. And we spent our second week kind of talking about those pit seasons that we walk through. Those seasons of absolute unexplainable pain that we walk through in life. And then in week three, we talked about the importance of character being formed as Joseph was imprisoned for many years. And, and we kind of left the story off at this moment where Joseph is actually helping two other prisoners. One of the patterns of Joseph's life is that everywhere he goes, he seems to be put in charge. And so he was put in Potiphar's house to be a servant, and he ends up in charge of the house. And then he's thrown in prison, and he ends up in charge of the prison. Everywhere he goes, he seems to have this favor of being put in charge of things. But there are these two prisoners that are thrown into prison with him, and they too have had dreams. And so they go to Joseph, and they explain their dreams, and Joseph is able to interpret their dreams. One of these dreams was not the kind of news you would want to deliver. He basically told one of these characters that they were not going to be living much longer. They were going to be executed by the state. But the other one, he said, you will be restored to your position. And this is where we begin to see just a glimmer of hope in Joseph's story. Because he says, you're going to be restored. You're going to get out of here. You're going to find freedom. You're not spending the rest of your life in this prison. You are not going to lose your life. You will actually be restored to be the cupbearer to the king. And he says, when you go there, remember me. He says, remember me. You know, when you're in a desperate situation, when you're in a pit, when you're in a prison, the, the smallest glimmer of hope is really all you need to hold on to. The smallest glimmer that, that maybe there's a way out of this situation is all that you need to hold on to. And I can't imagine after years in this prison, Joseph probably assumes this is his way out. Like, this is how he's going to get out. This guy is certainly going to remember him when he's promoted back to the king's side, and he's certainly going to get out of this prison. But then 13 years pass, and Joseph is still in prison. 13 years of being forgotten. 13 years, Joseph is, is sitting in this prison. Until suddenly, the Bible tells us that now Pharaoh has a dream. See, it's interesting how when you are a dreamer, your life is attracted to other dreamers. Like somehow you get pulled into the dreams of others. So far, we've seen Joseph pulled into the dreams of these two prisoners. And now in this moment, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He finally remembers Joseph and he tells Pharaoh, he says, listen, there is this man in prison who interpreted our dreams and they came true. He can tell you what your dream means. And so the Bible says that Joseph was quickly brought to Pharaoh. And I think it's important that we recognize that he was quickly brought to Pharaoh. I think it's important that we recognize that character formation takes time, but promotion can happen in an instant. 
And this is why that character formation season is so important because we don't know when the moment of promotion is going to come and we have to be ready for it. We have to be prepared for the moment where we are called on. See, Joseph went to sleep in the prison one night and then he spent the rest of his days in the palace. That's that's good news for somebody who's sitting in here today who feels like their life is a prison, who feels like their life is a pit, who feels like the bottom has fallen out of their life, that things can change in an instant and your life will never be the same. Joseph never went back to that prison. Joseph never spent another night in that prison. It's an encouragement to remind us that lengthy affliction often ends in quick promotion. That a a long season that just seems like it will not end of pain and heartache often ends in a moment. So don't allow an extended season of pain to discourage you from your purpose. Don't allow an extended season of pain to discourage you from your purpose. See, Joseph spent 13 years just serving in this prison, wondering if his purpose would ever come to fruition. And in this moment, he's called up to serve the king. And so I'm kind of recapping this story to get to where we need to get to today. But essentially, Pharaoh explains his dream to Joseph, and and Joseph understands the dream. And Joseph says, basically, the dreams that you have had, they mean the same thing. And there's going to be years of plenty in the land of Egypt. The crops are going to be like they have never been before. It's going to be years and years of abundance, but it's going to be followed by years of famine. And so he tells Pharaoh what it means, but then he goes on to tell Pharaoh what he should do in this moment. And he says, you've got to appoint somebody for these years of abundance to to save and to manage a campaign of of saving what we have so that when when those years of desolation come, we actually are prepared for them. We need to take these years of abundance and prepare for the years that are to come after them. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 37. It says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all of the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. I think it's no mistake that it tells us that Pharaoh actually beautifully ornamented Joseph in a new robe and in new jewelry because when we first find Joseph, he is favored and he's given this robe from his father and all of that is taken away from him. And in this moment, all of that and more is restored to him. In an instant, the the years of pain, the years of heartache, he's 17 when he has the dream, he's 30 when he interprets Pharaoh's dream, all of those years suddenly are restored to him in this moment. But I want you to notice a very important phrase. It says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh. See, what I want you to notice is that it was a plan that opened the door for promotion in Joseph's life. It was a plan that opened the door for promotion in Joseph's life because a dream without a plan never becomes a reality. At some point, if you have a God-given dream for your life, it's going to have to turn in to a plan. And a dreamer has to understand the necessity of starting right now. See, Joseph said, you're going to have to start right now. 
You don't have time to delay until the years that, of desolation come. You don't have time to delay. You have to start right now. And Pharaoh saw this on Joseph's life. See, Joseph had been leading his entire time in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, in prison. See, often we have the opportunity to lead in unfavorable places before we have the opportunity to lead in favorable places. Often we have these moments where we can lead in circumstances that we would never choose until God puts us in the place that he has for us. And see, we have to lead faithfully in those moments in order to be ready for the moment of promotion. Joseph led faithfully in Potiphar's house. Joseph led faithfully in prison. And when the moment of promotion came, Joseph was prepared. We have to be people who always lead as though it's the dream. Even when it's not the dream, we lead as though it's the dream, so that when the moment of promotion comes, we are prepared. But I think it's also important that we recognize this, this plan didn't just seem good to Pharaoh. But, but when, when Pharaoh heard the plan, he said, this is the spirit of God in this person. This is the spirit of God in this person that has come up with this plan. The plan actually revealed the spirit of God. See, often we think about the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives as unplanned and chaotic. But what we see in this moment is that it was Joseph's clear thinking, his strategy, his planning that actually revealed the Spirit's activity on his life. See, we have to be people that are ready when we are called for the moment of promotion. We have to be people who are prepared in that moment. We get this same picture of the Spirit of God at the moment of creation. It says that the Spirit hovered over the waters. And that it hovered over the chaos and brought order. See, Joseph now has a reputation of bringing order everywhere he goes. That even when he was serving as a slave in Potiphar's house, he brought order in such a way that he was promoted to leading that house. Even when he was thrown into prison, he brought order in such a way that he was brought into leading that prison. See, that, it's a lesson in promotability when you can lead in unfavorable circumstances. It's a lesson in promotability when you can lead like it's the dream when it's not the dream. But when you can be the one who has a plan when, honestly, you shouldn't even care about the plan. Joseph wasn't brought to bring a plan to Pharaoh. Joseph was brought to interpret a dream. And yet he took it to the next step and said, listen, I can tell you what your dream means and I can tell you what you need to do about it. And so now as we follow the story, we've, we've seen how Joseph responded when everything in his life was going wrong. And now we get to see how he responds when things start to go right. We've seen how he responded when nothing was right. And now it seems as though everything is right. And I think there's an important lesson in this because success will test you. Success will test you. Just as much as trial can test you, success will test you. See, Joseph has just been given a lot of power, and power is an interesting thing. We, we want it from the moment we can speak. We want it from the moment we can exert it over our toys. We want it from the moment that we can communicate. We want power. My, my daughter, Olivia, is three, and she is at the age where she is trying to exert her power in any situation that she can. She is small, but she has a strong, strong will. She knows what she wants. And one of the things that she often wants is oats. I know that seems strange. I'm not missaying it. I'm not saying oatmeal. She wants oats, dry oats. Like if you ate them, you would choke. If you put them in your mouth and you inhaled, you'd be choking for like an hour. 
That's what she wants. You try to heat them up. You try to put milk on them. You try to put water on them. No, she wants oats. And so often I find her in the kitchen with oats all over the floor, just everywhere. It doesn't matter where we put them. Somehow they get left in a place where she can reach them. And I come in the kitchen and there's a bowl and there's a box of oats and then there's oats on the ground. They never make it quite into the bowl. And I say, would you like some help with that? And she says, no, I can do it myself. And I'm like, clearly you can't (laughs) because I know that you don't want to reason with me right now, but there's a bowl and there's oats and there's oats on the floor. Clearly you need a little help. But she's, no, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. See, we want to have the power over any circumstance that we have. And Joseph has been given an unimaginable amount of power. Those verses say that Pharaoh gave him his signet ring. This was like giving him his signature. This was like giving him the ability to sign any invoice that came his way. This was like giving him the ability to sign any check that needed to be written. This was giving him the ability to sign any document that came his way on behalf of the king. He's been given an unlimited amount of power and resources. There's a British historian named Lord Acton who's familiar or or known for a saying that is probably familiar to you, which is absolute power corrupts absolutely. The problem is what we generally see is that absolute power does not corrupt, it reveals. See, power simply platforms the character that you already have. Power already platforms the character that you already have. See, nothing will derail the dreams of God in your life faster than a deficit between the platform that you have and your character. See, often we find ourselves platformed before our character is ready and we're trying to play catch up with our internal life when we need to already have the character that God needs us to have in order to step into the dream that God has for us. What's inside of us must be bigger than the opportunity in front of us. What's inside of us must be bigger than the opportunity in front of us. We have to be people who are ready at the moment of promotion. This is what we see in Joseph's life in this moment, is that he did not squander the years of slavery. He did not squander the years in prison. He did not squander the pit moments. He grew in those moments so that when the moment for the dream to be revealed came, he was ready to step into it. See, I think sometimes we're all waiting for the perfect situation to step into our dream. When the situation is right, when the scenario is right, when I have the right resources, then I'll lead. I'm the kind of leader that can do this. And when I get the opportunity, I will. But what we see in the life of Joseph is that he just leads wherever he is. And then when the opportunity promote or reveals itself, he's ready for it in that moment. See, I believe that Joseph could be trusted with power because he was actually free from the grip of power. He was free from the grip of power. He led and he prospered in situations that he should have had no vested interest in leading and prospering. He chose to lead as a slave. He chose to lead in prison. See, Joseph didn't need the power that came with the gift that he had on his life. He just chose to exercise the gift that he had on his life in the ways that he could. See, you're free from the unhealthy grip of power when you realize that you don't have any power outside of God. See, when Joseph went to Pharaoh, the first words, we talked about this last week, is Pharaoh said, you can, you can interpret my dream. And, and Joseph said, no, I actually can't interpret it, but God can. Like, God can actually step in and do this in this moment. But you know what I find interesting is that after he gives the plan, after he, uh, after he interprets the dream and he gives the plan, there was no moment we see where Joseph 
interprets the dream, and then he asks God, God, what do you want us to do? Oh, Joseph already knew what to do. I think a lot of times we actually delay what we know needs to happen and act like we're waiting on God when we already really know what needs to take place. And in this moment, Joseph stepped forward and he said, no, I already know what to do in this moment. See, when God has gifted you and when God has gifted you with a certain dream and with certain abilities, it's our responsibility to step into those, to not wait, but to step into those moments. But Joseph understood that he didn't have any power outside of God. Psalm 62 verse 11 says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, power belongs to God. See, all power belongs to God. Even in this moment, Pharaoh recognized the power of God on Joseph's life. He said, since God has made all things known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. We see in this moment that Joseph understands where his power came from. And we talked about in week one how there's this parallel between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. And Jesus was someone who understood power. He understood the power that he had, and he understood the power that he needed to use and how he needed to use it. And there's this kind of comical moment when you have context. Like when you can look back in hindsight, there's this kind of comical moment in John chapter 19 where Jesus has been brought before Pilate, who is a government official who can determine Jesus's fate. He can determine whether Jesus walks free or he is put to death. And Jesus is standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate is asking him questions, and Jesus is not answering them. I don't know if you've ever been before a judge. Odd tactic to just not answer what you're being asked of. To just be silent in that moment would not usually bode well for the decision that's about to come your way. And in John 19, verses 10 and 11, Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. See, I think this probably had to be kind of a hard moment for Jesus because Pilate did not know who he was talking to in this moment. Pilate is trying to flex his power on the creator of the universe. Uh, Pilate is trying to flex his power on the one who created the world and has come to save the world. And yet Jesus in that moment does not respond with power. He does not respond by overpowering Pilate in that moment. He simply says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you. Now, Now notice something important there. Jesus does not say you have no power. That's an important distinction. Jesus does not say, no, you have no power. He says you would have no power if it was not given to you by God. See, he acknowledges that Pilate actually does have power, but that that power comes from God. See, the sobering moment, the sobering fact of this moment is that this means that when we are given power, we are responsible for what we do with it. He acknowledged in that moment, Pilate, yeah, you have power, but that power has come from God. And how are you going to use it? See, that means that we are responsible for how we use the power that we've been given. And this is important because sometimes we allow the pendulum to swing too far either way. Sometimes we swing the pendulum so far into ourselves that we think we have gotten ourselves everything that we have. I got here in my power. I got here in my strength. I got here with my gifts. I got here with my abilities. I am responsible for everything I've done in my life. But we can also swing the pendulum the other way and say, well, it's all, it's all God. I have nothing to do with it. It's all God. I have absolutely nothing to do with it. 
But, but what I believe God is telling us in these scriptures is that God gives us power and then we are responsible for what we do with it. We do play a part in what we do with it. See, often when we, when we embrace this idea that, oh, it's just all God and I have no part in it, that kind of insecurity can actually rob us of the power that God has given us to fulfill the dreams he has for us. That we have to actually acknowledge, no, God has given us power to step into our dreams and now we are responsible to use it. God has given us gifts, and now we are responsible to step into them. See, Joseph could have said in that moment, I'll interpret your dream because that's what you called me here to do. But I'm not going to tell you what you should do. It's not really, that's not really my place. That's not really my place. You didn't ask me to tell you what to do. The only problem was he was gifted to tell him what to do. He had been given power to tell him what to do, and he stepped into that power and told Pharaoh the plan that needed to take place in that moment. See, sometimes we abdicate power to avoid responsibility. Because if you, if you accept the fact that you are powerless, then you don't have to feel bad about doing nothing. I had no power in that situation. I had no power to do anything in that moment, so I'm not responsible for what I did. But see, Jesus gives us power and expects us to steward it. He expects us to do something with it. Jesus actually said, if anyone desires to be great. Now see, I think sometimes people that desire to be great get a little flack. Sometimes people that desire to be great, people are like, hey, chill out a little bit. Take it down a notch. Take it down a notch. Like, like you're, you're arrogant. You're, you're puffing yourself up. But Jesus didn't say anyone who desires to be great should change their desires. He didn't say anyone who desires to be great desires a bad thing. He said anyone who desires to be great should become a servant of all. Anyone who desires to be great should become a servant of all. In other words, Jesus is saying the desire to be great is not misaligned, but how you use it can be. See, you should desire to be great so that you can serve others. You, you should desire to be great so that you can serve a purpose outside of yourself. Acts 10.38 says this about Jesus. It talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. See, Jesus had power designated from God, and he had the presence of God. Why? So that he could do good. And what we see in the life of Joseph is someone who has the power of God in his life and has the presence of God in his life and uses those things to do good, to serve others. See, Joseph used his power to create life and freedom for others. Joseph used his power to create life and freedom for others. He understood that the purpose of the power he had been given was actually to feed multitudes. It was to feed multitudes. It was to save generations. It was to preserve nations. See, Joseph could have slipped into a couple of ways that we slip into using power. Joseph could have used his power to protect. The power to protect yourself is very alluring. The power to protect yourself. You feel like you hold your own destiny. See, in that moment, Joseph could have used the opportunity to self-protect. He could have said, yeah, listen, I know what your dream means, and I can help you with it. But before I tell you, I'm going to need some assurances in this situation. Because I just spent 13 years in prison, and I spent a few years before that as a slave. And before that, my brothers threw me in a pit. 
So now that I have a little bit of power, now that I have the upper hand, before I give you any of it, I'm going to need some assurances. I'm going to need to know what you're going to do for me. I'm going to need to know how you're going to protect me. But what we actually see is Joseph freely interpreting and giving a plan so that he might help others with no respect to himself. Joseph has no idea in this moment if Pharaoh's going to say, thank you very much, great plan, take him back to prison. He has no idea. He just does what he's done in every circumstance that he's been giving. He serves with what's in front of him. He serves the opportunity in front of him. And he could have used his power to get revenge in that moment, quite honestly, instead of to serve them. He could have gotten revenge on this nation. I mean, this nation, Egypt, had him, had him as a slave. They had him in prison. They have not treated him well. He could have used this moment to have the upper hand to say, yeah, I know exactly what's going to happen, but I ain't telling you. We're, we're, you're not going to be ready for it. Your whole nation's going to collapse. I, I, we have to realize in this moment that what Joseph is doing is he is prospering the nation that has imprisoned him. He's prospering the nation that has enslaved him. He's prospering the people who have had their foot on his neck. He's really prospering the people that it seems have stood in the way of him getting to his dream. He is taking the step to prosper them in this moment. The real test of power comes when you have the opportunity to use it to get revenge. When you have the opportunity to use it on other people rather than for other people. That's when the real test of power comes. And when Joseph was promoted in this moment, he actually had no idea that he was stepping into his destiny. Because this still didn't look like the dream that Joseph had. This still didn't look like the dream that Joseph had. Joseph didn't roll up in the palace and go, this is it. This is the dream. Joseph rolled up in the palace having no idea what his fate or his destiny was. It still didn't look for like the dream. For all Joseph knew, this was just another opportunity to serve in a different capacity. And he stepped into it. He was in the dream, and he didn't even know it. See, some of you are walking in the dream that you've asked God for for your life, and you don't even realize it. Some of you are walking in the opportunity, and you don't even realize it. Some of you are taking steps that, that you don't even know they're connected to your dream, and then one day you stand back and you go, oh, this is the dream. This is the dream. See, this is the moment that Joseph has. Because after a while, the, the famine has has gone on in Egypt and they've saved up all of their grain. They've saved up what they need and they actually have food to dole out. And Joseph's brothers who live in the land of Canaan, they start to get hungry. They run out of food. They have nothing left for their family. They have nothing to feed their families. They have, they have nothing to give their families. And so they find out that there is grain in Egypt and they say, well, we got to go to Egypt. We got to get to Egypt. We got we to get to the place that has the food. And so to make a long story short, there's a lot of back and forth, but there's this moment where the brothers walk in and Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Have you ever been in a situation where you recognize somebody and they don't recognize you? It's kind of a precarious moment because you know the moment they know, the moment they put it together, this whole scenario changes. A while back, I was actually driving downtown and I was going to get my hair cut and there was this guy behind me in like a classic car. And apparently the light turned green and I did not move quick enough. And he didn't actually honk at me, but the car behind him honked at me. And by the time I went, the light turned yellow and I felt bad. 
I'm very frustrated when people do this to me, when I find myself missing an entire light because someone was looking at their phone. And so I felt bad. But this guy, he decides to go anyway, and he drives up next to me, and he is screaming at me from his car. It's like this old-fashioned little convertible, and he is just giving it to me, saying things I cannot say this morning. I mean, he is so upset. And he didn't even miss the light. But anyway, he's so upset in this moment, and he's yelling, and he's screaming, and he's so mad. And I kid you not, he gets so mad that he hits his horn, and it's an old-fashioned car. And when he hits the horn, it goes, And I died laughing. I died laughing because the anger did not match the horn. And I died laughing. Well, my laughter enraged him. And, and I mean, once you're already mad and now you think someone's laughing at you, and I wasn't laughing at him, the horn was just literally like a clown car horn. And so anyway, I'm pulled onto the street where I go to get my haircut, and he pulls onto the street, and I'm like, this guy's following me. And so I pass the place where I get the haircut, and he pulls into the place that we get the haircut. And I'm like, no. So I'm sitting at a stop sign, and I'm watching in the rearview mirror, and he goes into the place where I get my haircut. And I'm like, he's getting his haircut at the same place I am. This is impossible. And so I parked down the street because I have a big rack on top of my car and I think it's recognizable. So I didn't want to park out front. So I parked down the street and I walk in, I walk in the place and I, I recognize him, but I didn't think he would recognize me. And I just like walk by him and I'm just like, let's see how this goes. And he's like, hey man, how's it going? Super nice. And I'm like, oh, it's good. And so then we sit down and we start cutting hair and it's kind of a barbershop vibe. People start talking about the TV shows they're watching. And he's like all in, like chatting with me. We're facing each other, chatting while they're cutting our hair. And I'm like, if he notices at any moment, like how, how are we going to reconcile this? Like, are we going to laugh about it? Or is he going to like grab the scissors out of the guy's hand and attack me? It goes one of two ways. But there's this moment where Joseph's brothers walk in and they're across from each other and he recognizes them and they don't recognize him. And it, if you have the power in that moment, this is a very precarious moment. This says a lot about who you are in this moment. And in this moment, there's this, this whole kind of convoluted back and forth, but then there comes a moment where Joseph says, like, I, I got to let him in. I got to let him know who I am. I got to let him know that I know. And in Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1, it says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph. And he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. See, this is the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. 
Joseph's, dream, Joseph's brothers walk into the room and it says they bow their faces down to the ground. This is the moment that Joseph knew. This is the dream. This is the dream that I had. This is the moment of the dream. And Joseph's dream in this moment could have been a nightmare for his brothers. Joseph's dream in this moment could have been a terror for his brothers. And it says they were terrified in his presence. You know why they were terrified in his presence? Because they knew what they would do if they had that kind of power. They knew what they would do if they had that position of authority. They didn't even have power over him and they still abused him. They still threw him in a pit. Imagine if they had had the kind of power that he had. And so now they see Joseph with the power to get the revenge that they would put on him. And he responds in kindness. It says, Joseph's first words to them are, come close to me. He says, come close to me. And he releases them from their guilt. He says, it wasn't even you that did this, that God sent me ahead of you. See, isn't it interesting? When the brothers first heard Joseph's dream, they responded, they said, do you think we'll bow down to you? Like, do you think that you're actually better than us? They assumed that Joseph was having a self-centered dream where he wanted his family to bow down and serve him. But in this moment, the fulfillment of the dream, they step in and they bow down and he serves them everything they needed in that moment. That they're bowing down to him. The dream, the fulfillment of the dream was actually them getting their needs met. The fulfillment of the dream was actually Joseph serving them. The fulfillment of their dreams was actually Joseph opening up the storehouses that he had access to and making sure that his family was fed, that his family had what they needed. See, sometimes I think this is how we view God. Sometimes I think we view God as this egomaniac who just wants us to come and bow down before him so that we can serve him, so that we can be servants to him. But see, what we realize in the story of Joseph is that the way it works in God's kingdom is that when we serve God, he meets our needs. That when we serve God, he gives us what we didn't even know he had for us. That when we bow down to God, that he actually gives us all that we need. Just like Joseph, God invites us to come close and he releases us of our guilt. He releases us of our condemnation. See, Joseph looks a lot like Jesus. Joseph looks a lot like Jesus. Jesus always used his power to serve others. Jesus always used his power to serve others. And we see that in the obvious places. We see that power in the obvious places. We see it in the miracles. We see it in the raising of the dead. We see it most in his own resurrection. But even in the moment where it seems like Jesus was the most powerless, where some had questioned if he had lost his power. When Jesus was sentenced to die and he's hanging on a cross and people are walking by saying, if you are who you say you are, if you have the power that you say you have, if you can do all of the things that you say you can do, then get yourself down off that cross. If you have power, use it on yourself. If you have power, save your Self, But even in that moment, Jesus remaining on the cross is not a moment of powerlessness. It's a moment of great power. It's a moment of great power on display used appropriately. Where Jesus saying, listen, I could use my power to save myself, but if I did that, I wouldn't save you. I'm gonna use my power to remain in this moment of pain so that I can serve you. 
I'm going to use my power to remain in this place so that I can give you all that you need. Jesus is using his power to stay in the will of God, even in the pain of the moment even in the sorrow of the moment so that he might save humanity. See, Joseph says to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you so that I could save you. And God sent Jesus ahead of everyone in this room so that he could save everyone in this room. So that his salvation would be available to everyone in this room. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?